Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. And this is episode 137. So before we get started, I'd like to thank everyone who entered into the Macrofab Design Contest Blinkin' LED, sponsored by Mauser Electronics. The judges are going to go through the entries this week and will announce the winners on the blog and the typical social media locations on September 17th, 2018. And also, Stephen and I will announce the winners of the Macrofab Engineering Podcast favorite on the next episode, which will be number 138. Yeah, stay tuned next week for that. That one's going to be a lot of fun because Parker and I are going to come kind of uh, a little bit of preparation between the two of us separate so we kind of get to argue about which ones we like. So who knows, either we'll pick different ones that we like and then have to argue about it, or maybe we just have like a really simple consensus and we go with that. So I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. And and I've been keeping uh, my eyes on all the projects as they've been coming in, and they're awesome. There's a bunch of really cool stuff, so I'm looking forward to it. So, Stephen. Yes, sir. What have you been working on? So, stuff. What kind of stuff? Uh, mainly, last week I actually... Announced to everyone that I had uh, opened my new website, analogeng.com. That's analogeng.com. But as of last week, it was pretty much blank. There was nothing on it. So uh, as of now, there are two blog posts up on my uh, website. So I apologize for how kind of rough the website is. Uh, it's still kind of in the mix. And I will be dumping all of my projects, personal projects, macrofab projects, all the kind of stuff I do. I hope to eventually just move it up onto that website, similar to Parker's website, which your website is what? LonghornEngineer.com. So um, I've got Two blog posts up about my uh, microtracer project. The first one is kind of an introduction to everything, just an overview of the whole project. And the second one, uh, the second blog post is mainly about, you know, starting to dive into the circuit design. I wasn't sure exactly how deep I wanted to go. Go ahead and go read those blog posts. Please ignore the grammar or the lack thereof because I'm an engineer and not a writer. So, uh, yeah, go check it out. I will have a third blog post talking about the code, which that's going to be the scariest one. <laughs> uh, but that, that, that'll that come out eventually. We'll, we'll see. So hopefully, I I, I mean, the, the, the plan is to, as I go along, all of the ideas that I kind of dump in this podcast and all the little, like, side projects I do and things, I want to just have more of a open repository and, you know, a place where people can actually view these kinds of things. And, hey, you know, maybe someone will get enjoyment out of it. So... Check out analogeng.com. That's one of the things I've been working on. Yeah, I can't wait till you get more of your projects up there because I know you have many, like most engineers do. I've got a, I've got a ton. And I really, so I'm not, I'm not currently in a house. Uh, I'm still kind of like apartment hopping right now until we get a house up here in Colorado. Once I get a house and I have my basement dungeon layer or whatever you want to call it, like, I want to have a lot more dedicated to making the website great and providing good information and potentially videos and a lot of other things that frankly, I haven't had just because of my living situations in the last few years, they, things like that have just been difficult. Once I have more of like a true home base, I can actually do a lot more stuff like that. So, but as you know, as I build up to that, I, I hope to have some, you know, lengthy blog posts, kind of like the ones I, I just did with the you know, that are a little bit more meaty and into the design of projects and also some more simple ones. Like, uh, I believe last week I discussed recapping 
uh, power supply that I have. I'd love to just kind of have a blog post about that. Just something pretty simple. It's, it's actually kind of similar to the blog you have where there's some things that are, I, I visited yours the other day. There's, there was one blog post that you had like 50 pictures on one blog. And then, and then there was another post that was just like, Hey, I did this, you know? So <laughs> I, I kind of similar. Well, I, I look at it as a, um, yeah. you know, what did I get done? Yeah you know, that week kind of way. And so sometimes it's like one picture or nothing. And it's like, okay, I got to come up with something to post there. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I want to get better at, uh, actually I want to get better at doing a little bit of photography, um, taking pictures of small projects and electronics and things like that, which is something I've frankly never really had the desire to do. So I never really spent any time learning how to actually take a good photo. So I'm kind of, at the beginning journey of that. And I know that's like a super deep hole. I, I've had plenty of friends who, you know, they, they spend their entire life savings on on camera equipment and things. And I, I don't want to be that, but I, I would like to get better than my current skills are. Makes sense. I, I always want to... My, my biggest problem with taking pictures of like circuit boards and stuff is the glare that you get. Uh, so I think, I think I'm going to go your route and get a light box because those look pretty good. The, the pictures on my blog? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I got, a, I got a light box off of Amazon. I think it was 50 bucks. And I went for the $50 one as opposed to like the $30 one because it uh, the box itself is two foot by two foot. And a lot of projects that I have are uh, guitar amplifier chassis that their width is like 22 inches. So most of the other boxes are like 18 inches or so the light boxes i mean so it was like if i ever want to take a picture of an amp chassis which i have like swear to god i have like six in the in the works right now <laughs> and i mean I'm, my fingers you can't see it right now but my fingers are super crossed once i get a really nice basement that i can just kind of like close the door and become a hermit and work on my electronics i will have all of those working <laughs> i remember when we moved all your stuff, how many amplifiers we had to move. <laughs> there was nine boxes that each, each box contained its own amplifier. And those were the ones that I wanted to keep nice. So I put them in a box. There's many other amplifiers that are floating around in like plastic boxes here and there. So, you know, and, and I, I was playing around um, earlier this week with the idea of some solid state amplifiers, um, I've, I've found some really nice chips. I, I, to, off the top of my head, I don't remember what they are, um, the part number, I mean. But they, they're, they're Class D amplifiers that could do 100 watts with no heat sink whatsoever on a two-layer board. Ooh. I, it's, it's, just, it's amazing that these chips can do that nowadays. I mean, 100 watts. I bet you that's a TI part. It, it was, yeah. It was absolutely. It was, yeah, it was one of their, they call it a digital amplifier. Uh, which, to be honest, I, I don't know that world super well, so those have probably been around for a while, but I just haven't researched them too much, mainly because that that style of amplifier, just the, the consumer style you know, speaker thing doesn't really apply to most of the stuff that I do. But I've been asked to play guitar um, at, at uh, my local church, and I was thinking, man, it might be kind of fun to build a little amplifier for that. So I don't know, but uh, it might be kind of cool. Tubes not good enough for Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> well, tubes are locked away in a storage facility right now, and 
You know, the funny thing was, I think I, I, I either gave away or sold practically every amplifier I have that worked. I only kept the ones that don't work. What happened to your little green one? The OG. I'd still have that one, and that one does work. In fact, I can't get that thing to not work. I haven't retubed it in so many years, and it's just been... Abused isn't the right word, but used heavily, and it, it just keeps going. And it looks like garbage on the inside. I mean, it was the first big electronic project I ever built, and... I had no clue what I was doing, and it still works. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. That was a lot of tangents there. Go check out analogeng.com. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Steven will have a tube amp built by then. Yeah, hopefully. That'd be cool. Uh, I have. I do have some... I actually got some really cool stuff that hopefully will make its way onto the blog in the future. I want to do some tests with... Uh, different ground schemes inside of amplifiers. And so when I actually get the chance to have like a, a true workbench where I could play around with that, um, I wanted to actually take some measurements instead of just you know, like telling someone this is the correct way of doing it. I want to actually like evaluate some ground schemes, which that's a big thing. You know, it's, you know, it's not like you, you just whip up a board and change one thing and measure it with a scope. You actually have to like physically wire, you know, uh, you know tens of items, sometimes like a few hundred items and then measure it all, you know? So I'd love to, I'd love to actually play around with that and see if I can get something that actually makes sense. It would be great if you built like how many different ground schemes you have and just built three identical or four identical amplifiers. And the only difference is different ground schemes between them. And then that way you can A, B, C, D, whatever, test them. That would be super cool. Super, super cool. Uh, that seems really difficult and expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that, that would be a lot of fun. If, if somebody wants to help fund this, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out. There's, there, I, I do have one amp right now that I built a long time ago that I know I used what I would call a suboptimal ground scheme in. I built it more... The, the the reason why I built it that way was more time than it was like quality. And I want to go back. I want to rip all the grounds out, and I want to redo it in a very very like methodical and laid out logical way, as much as possible, and see if I can get rid of some hum and buzz that's in it. It's really it's really not that bad, but I've I've heard other people who built this exact same amp where it's better, and I just want to see like can I make. I don't know, 20, 30 changes and have it be like very noticeable different. And I think I can. Yeah. So, so many cool things that come up. That'd be cool. And in fact, um, I've got, a, got another little thing. This is actually not necessarily my kind of project, but something showed up at work today that uh, I think is super cool. So there's a, there's a guy who kind of, he's a, a little bit of a contract worker um, that works for um, WMD or works with WMD, he, he a long time ago uh, purchased a Vectrex, which uh, you know what a Vectrex is, right, Parker? Yeah, so, yeah, Vectrex is one of, I think it's actually the only vector-based video game home console you could buy. That's right, yeah. In a nutshell, it was like a consumer-grade oscilloscope with a game in it, in effect. Correct, yeah. To explain what a, what vector is, so a normal TV and your normal LCD monitor and how normal games are rendered 
is it's line by line, pixel by pixel, going from left to right, up to down. Right. And so that's how it's drawn. Whereas a vector display actually is jumping from point to point. And as the line moves or the the, the beam moves, it, it, it doesn't really draw a line. It's the phosphors fading. Right. It's similar to a, 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 a CRT TV where it has the raster line. The line is going left and right, top, top to down. And it's the the fading of the phosphors that illuminate. But it's a different way to control the beam, so to speak. Right, right. And and the way it's set up there, it's actually that uses you know x y z kind of 3d coordinates where where x is left and right y is up and down and z is brightness but in terms of the way of thinking of that with this kind of tube is it z is almost like distance from you yeah uh so it's it's more of like how powerful the beam is and so it ends up being brightness but regardless they use an x y z kind of scheme to it so a a vectrix showed up at work today because one of the guys wants to mod it to use it with his modular synthesizer. What he wants to do is he wants to install jacks on it such that he can punch his audio wave into the XYZ signals and basically visualize what he's playing on his synthesizer. In other words, he's making an oscilloscope where he doesn't necessarily care about what the scale is as long as it just shows up on the screen. I'll put it this way, though. It would be way easier if he just bought a old Tektronics scope online like on eBay, and then put that in XY mode and just pumped in signals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's funny. You're right, and you're wrong about that. Uh, the 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 you're right, as in like yes, you could just pump in signals with that. But the part where you're wrong is it's not necessarily easy. So get this, I when I heard about this project, I was like, this is super freaking cool. I absolutely love this, and and the fact that there's a guy who went and bought this old ancient video game thing was. I love it. Uh, oh, by the way, it's kind of a side note. One of the one of the selling points originally of this device was the fact that it was like an all in one. It was you got the screen, you got the controller, you got the game, and they kind of sold it that way against other game consoles at the time, where it's like you don't need a TV; it is a TV, you know, kind of thing, which I think is super cool. But but check this out the the service manual is still available for this guy and we'll uh, we'll provide a link to the service manual uh, on page thirty two of this service manual. Oh, I'm going to open up this thing. Okay, yeah, it, it's actually called the Power Board Schematic, but on this board it's basically you know the all, like the flyback transformer and all the stuff for driving the CRT uh, along with the the actual power supply. But what it has over on the left side is where all the XYZ signals come into the board. And it's basically just a Molex connector, or actually two Molex connectors. One of the Molex connectors has the X and Y signals on it, and the other one has the Z, which is basically brightness, like I said. What's kind of great about this, apparently people have already done this before with synthesizers and, and the Vectrix, basically already to scale with standard modular synthesizer signal strength and signal amplitude basically so all you have to do is pull this molex connector out and plug your wires directly into the molex connector and bam you got it 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 just already displays on the screen interesting 
just works, huh? Yeah, so you're just punching. You're basically punching in between where the game is with the with the screen. Screen. Yeah. Yeah. And what's nice also the X uh, the X and Y axis both have attenuators or potentiometers basically on the front end, so you can sort of fine tune it. If if you have a really hot signal, you could you could you know dump it down a little bit. So in, that's what I mean uh, when I was saying this pretty much as easy as an oscilloscope. Yeah, you have to pop the back off, but all you really have to do is just punch wires into a Molex connector that already exists, and it just works. Instead of, so, instead of pumping your stuff through an attenuator already. Well, yeah, or designing some other thing that, like, you know, punches it in in parallel. Uh, you know, doing it this way, you, you do, you know, you won't get access to the game anymore that's inside, but that's kind of not the point. Um, although one of the things that I was thinking that would be really cool is to do a parallel style connection where you can mix in your audio, but you're mixing your audio into where the video is. So the video will like jiggle as you play the game, which would be kind of (laughs) cool. So the two uh, connectors I'm talking about, it's like I said, it's on page 32 of the schematic. They are J402 and J506, which is on the left side of the schematic. All you do is you pop them off of the basically the digital board and uh, it's, you know, three signals and three grounds. So just plug your signals in there and um, modular synthesizer signals are 10 volts peak to peak, basically. Uh, so you can just throw a 10 volt peak to peak signal in there, whatever it is, and you can modulate the screen. He should totally pump the audio into it so he gets that that lo-fi sound from that speaker system that little crap yeah and and you see the driver chip for the speaker it's a gold classic lm 386 386 yeah it's like i've built that before oh yeah actually i think i've built that exact circuit actually before (laughs) oh i bet i bet you this is just a a data sheet rip i bet you it's just like you take it and dump it right on there and it works Wait, wait, wait. What are they using a 555 timer for? Oh, look at it. You tell me what they're using it for. Oh, my God. It's a output going into a transformer. And then that goes off to a driver transistor, which goes off to another transformer. Yeah, so it's boosting. Take a guess what they're using that for. Oh, man. See, I don't know a lot about this kind of stuff or about 555 timers. Like, I don't know what can... Well, yeah. Okay, so see up at the top that that dashed... Uh, rectangle that's T502. Yeah, yeah. That's the big high voltage transformer. So they're using that 555 as a switch mode controller. Got you. Yeah. So it, basically, they you know it's it's that's a big flyback transformer that hits the I don't know how many volts that CRT runs off of, but there's a there's two of the grids look like they run off 170 volts, and then there's a third grid that runs somewhere in the plus 50 volt. But I bet you that CRT is you know way higher than that, and you can see. There's kind of like a, I don't know. There's a diode off of the the big winding. Yeah, at the very top, it says it says two CRT. I bet you that's some. You, you don't want to touch that wire kind of voltage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I know the whole Probably. <laughs> the whole reason why I kind of like sparked up with that five 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 thing was um, I've been looking at some five 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 switch mode supplies recently, and then I pulled up this schematic and I was like, ah, that's great. Someone has done that. So um, apparently, using a five 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 is it works because basically what happens is you just set up the 555 such that when your voltage droops, the 555 turns on and it just basically hammers the transformer until it until your voltage raises again and then it shuts the 555 off. 
Uh, so it's a really... So it's kind of like a self-regulating... It's self-regulating, but it's also kind of dumb. It won't know if something bad happens, and it'll just keep trying until, you know, either something works or something blows up kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's it's not a really elegant way of doing it, and it's not really efficient, but it's easy to do. If little Jimmy touches the coil, it won't know. Uh, it, yeah, no, it, it'll just keep bumping into Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you look at some of these capacitors that are in this uh, CRT area, you know, you got um, some one kilovolt ceramics over here. Mm-hmm. Yep. I bet you that CRT is actually probably, you know, 15 kilovolts or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't know. I've, in, in, the, in a past life, I worked as a CRT repair guy, and in most of the CRT's little... Uh, screens we were using were in the two to five thousand volt range something like that so i would think it would be it's probably around there then up up there you know who knows exactly what it is off the top of my head there's probably there's probably some listener who knows exactly what voltage this crt runs off of. so please let us know yeah if if you do i think it probably just depends on how big it is yeah yeah i know the we used to repair, gosh, the 22-inch CRT monitors, which those things were unbelievably huge and heavy. And those things ran off of a huge voltage. I don't remember what it was, but it was scary kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. I like the I like the 555-timer circuit. And the and the LM386. That's that's pretty special there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's see. What else is in here? Oh, there's a 7905. Yeah. It's a handful of JFETs in there. LM340. whole bunch of... Whole bunch of uh, NPN transistors. Maybe not a whole bunch, but a, a good spattering of. What's interesting is that they they're running the LM340 as a five volt. Yeah. As well. Why are they? Why are they using two a seven a seven nine zero five? Oh, seven nine zero five. That's negative five volts. Yeah. Ah, that's what it's doing. Okay. Yeah, that that's that looks like a pretty. Um, stock power supply configuration thing for a plus minus rail yeah it's got some it's got some zeners in there for esd and stuff like that it's pretty yeah it's pretty standard robust they got a lot of diodes there too for input protection yep man they even got a ginormous like they call it t102 it's like a giant uh choke almost but it's a triple choke isn't it yeah uh yeah 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 right at right at the input coming off the transformer well yeah right at the input of the power supply after the mains transformer when did the when did this thing come out the vectrix let me see here it's Ooh. 82 in uh, north america as let's say early 80s yeah early 80s and 83 in europe and japan <laughs> and then it was discontinued in 84 <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't long lived no 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 it's got a cool controller though because the controller like fits into the case and it's got four buttons and a joystick. And it's one of those ones, like it's, it looks like, I guess it's a hindsight 2020 kind of thing, but the controller is just absolutely awful to when you put it in your hand. And it was, (laughs) this was at a time before when like, you know, controller ergonomics didn't, or people weren't paying attention to that, or I shouldn't say not paying attention to like we talked about this last episode. Is um, it's like an NES controller except with a joystick and an extra button. Well, it's got okay, so it has four buttons in a in a line, like a oh, four buttons. That no, my bad. Yeah, four has four buttons. Look at the human thumb. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't go it's that not far. like a straight line. <laughs> you know how they changed how they did colors on the Vectrix? Or didn't they just have three beams? 
No. Had, oh, no, they put the overlays over the screen, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had overlays. So when you played, like, Space Invaders, there'd be a red, green, and then I think the scores were white, so it was clear. And so you just slide the Space Invader overlay, and you would get colors. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't there, like... I thought there was a, a version of... Um, there was, like, a submarine hunting game where you put, like, this big, like, heads-up display on your screen, and it had, like, all this data and stuff in there. It actually looked really cool. Oh, man. What was that? Like, Wolf Hunter or something like that? I don't remember what the Sub-Hunter one was called, but I do remember playing it. And there was there was the Star Wars vector game where you went through the, the trench, right? Yes. The, but that was, like, arcade. Yeah, yeah. These are all arcade games. Only, only in arcade. Cool. Well, whenever whenever we get this modded up... I will have to take a video and show that because we actually we actually have some pictures on the door to the office uh, of someone who has done this before. Um, some vector images that are audio displayed in vector, and it looks really cool. I do like how the last page of the service manual is like, how do you box this thing up? <laughs> really? A drawing of how the box and where to put the serial number. and Oh, no lie. Look at that. You know, you don't see that anymore. And that's hand-drawn, too. Look at that. Yeah. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah, I don't really uh, recognize any other ICs in this thing. Everything else is kind of custom. Uh, there's some analog switches, 4066. Uh, let's see, what else have we got? I was looking at, like, the the CPU and stuff. Oh, yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, I bet you it was, it was all custom. Yeah, so it's ROM, MPU, 68A09. I don't recognize that. 6522 looks interesting. Where's uh, Which IC is that? IC207. I wonder if that's a space off a six, uh, 6500 series uh, MCU. Uh, it has a read-write read pin on it. Pin 22. So I'm wondering... And it can that read-write pin connects directly to the cartridge receptacle. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought... Uh, I thought these things were a single game. Mm-mm. They have a whole like game cartridge slot. Yeah, yeah, I got game carts. Interesting. All right, yeah. So that's that. Go check out the service manual. Pretty cool. Yeah, we'll post it. What you been up to, Parker? So I haven't been able to do much. You were talking about like getting the, your own space together since you're you know apartment hopping, uh, and I'm finally getting like my electronics section here at home set up now basically making space in the garage for it hopefully in about a month i'll have that all done i'm like cleaning cabinets and stuff right now really fun yeah boring things but i did manage to work a little bit more on that software defined radio i managed to get a python script running on the raspberry pi that talked to an arduino and so when i moved like a pin jumper on the arduino I could detect that on the uh, Python side mm-hmm. that's running on the Raspberry Pi. So that's like the basis of like how it's going to work now. Nice. So I have an embed system pulling the, you know, the uh, input outputs and sending it over to the Python. And the next step is to get the Python to control the signal defined radio and then basically make a simple tuner. Um, it's a little overkill for what it's going to be doing at first, but... Eventually, it will uh, be a pretty good radio, I think. Nice. Are you going to have that uh, code available? Because I would totally like to look at that. Yeah, yeah. When I have it 
more cleaned up. I was just kind of like throwing stuff together. <laughs> um, hey, but it works, right? It does work. So once I get a, like once I get it, like talk the, the SDR talking to the Python with like, so like you do something on Arduino and the Python actually does something besides like register that you press the button, mm-hmm. then I, yeah, I'll post that stuff. Cool. So I should have that done by next week. So that'd be really, uh, yeah, that'd be a pretty good update for it is to do that. And then I'll start actually designing a circuit board and stuff, you know, the fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's the part you want to get to. Yeah. That's the stuff I really want to get to is like, I actually really enjoy doing the mechanical design stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, especially for stuff like this, which is like, I'm going to be designing a retro looking radio. I guess not technically not even that retro. It's like eighties era. Instead of like 50s or 60s era. Have you decided what it's going to look like? I mean, in terms of like, do you like have a napkin drawing kind of thing? I think just the big, you know, VFD display and then two knobs on the side. Yeah. And get knobs that are, it's an eight way directional knob mm-hmm. with an encoder and a push button. Yep. And then that's it. Yeah. Make it, make it stripped down and clean. Yeah. It will look, I, I, I might put some buttons underneath it. For like, because that's how old radios look. They had those buttons, uh, at least uh, car radios, they had the buttons underneath. The trick is going to be having, because usually those are gained together. So you press one, and then when you press the other one, that first one pops back out. There's a name for that. I don't I don't remember what that's called, but I know exactly what, what you're talking about. Like old um, multimeters had that on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to make that. So I don't, I might just have to be like momentary style switches that you press. Yeah. Uh, it would be nice to figure out how to, make that work or buy a module that does that already that's about oh it needs to be like six inches wide so yeah are are you are you gonna uh 3d print like the shroud that goes around everything i think i'm going to take up your suggestion and make it out of wood oh okay cool yeah it's actually you know cut it on the scroll saw and sand it and make it all look nice i just gotta find some really tight grain so it looks like fake wood (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know, maple might be good for something like that. Oh yeah. Do you want to do a? Do you want to do it dark? Are you gonna like stain it or? Uh, it's probably gonna be darkish, so I'm gonna stain it. Ma- maple takes stain. The, well, the kind of maple that I'm talking about, it 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 takes it okay at best, if you ask me. Yeah, my best working with maple is you don't use a stain, you use a dye. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's how we did. That's how I did your um, your first synthesizer. Oh yeah, the <laughs> that was made out of curly maple, and it would not it would not take a stain at all. And so I got some dye, and I just dyed the hell out of it. Right. Yeah. And that that worked great. I'm actually still finding like clothes that I've gotten that dye on. <laughs> it was kind of like a deep red mahogany ish color. You still use that thing or no? It's it's been retired to the the wastelands. It's um it will go up in my workshop as kind of like a relic but like a but, but like <laughs> a, a cool relic, relic. Bi- a relic of the bygone era yeah yeah i remember it, it took man i remember you how long it took you to build that board that goes in there because you built it all by hand a service mount but with like a regular iron oh yeah no it was 650 plus parts something like that <laughs> yeah and and yeah no i didn't uh i didn't paste it i did it all by hand yeah Sometimes I like to torture myself. It's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really like soldering. Uh, just 
it's fun. I, I just enjoy the, uh, the journey, you know, towards the end result. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's fun to have like a big, nice, fancy, super expensive machine, build your stuff. But it's also kind of nice to just be like, I don't know, I'm getting goofy here, but intimate with your, like your project. It's you did it, you know, but everyone's different. Yep. Cool. You want to roll on over to the RFO? Yeah, we can roll on the RFO. Awesome. So this is this is a question that you wanted to ask. Well, and and this actually came up a little bit today. Um, I was working a little bit with the simulation software. Um, mainly, it was P Spice, which we've talked about this before. But I kind of wanted to bring up a, a a question. Really, this is for mainly all of our listeners, but also for you, Parker. Simulation. Do you use it? Do you ever simulate? Like, is it in your like wheelhouse? Do you know how to do it? So, yeah, I think I've answered this one before, but I 90% of the time I do not use simulation because I'm doing digital digital design. And I know when you start doing really high speed stuff, simulation is very important. But for doing microcontrollers, embedded design, IoT stuff, it's not really necessary as long as you make sure you know you make sure your traces are short you're making sure your your impedance is low your your parasitic capacitance is low for your signals uh beyond that you know and also making sure like your levels are fine so when you start mixing chip families you're like okay making sure a logic high is actually high enough for this one other chip you know stuff like that like it's sometimes 2.5 volts is not enough to flip a 3.3 volt logic right right and that's stuff that It'd be kind of hard to simulate unless you really told it what it was, uh, what the chips were. Well, and and a lot of times chips of that sort or ICs are not available in simulation software. They're not something that either can be simulated or no one's created something for that. And I would suspect, though, there is probably a, like, let's say an Arduino simulator where you can, like, upload your code and it would run. Oh, I think there's multiple of those. Yeah, I would say that would exist, but for most like C stuff, like let's say an EFM8, that, there's no simulator for that. Well, okay, so uh, if if you were to do simulation, do you have a piece of software that you would use? I I use um P Spice or LT Spice. Okay. And that's mainly for power supply stuff. I'll I will try to like let's say if I'm designing a power supply and I, you know, the regulator I'm using has has whatever uh, it's in it's in the software like P Spice or LT Spice or whatever. It has a model basically. Yeah, I will I will simulate like the filters and stuff to make sure I'm getting out the noise I want to get out. Mm-hmm. And that was actually kind of the idea behind the super simple power supply was it could record noise and then play it and then play it back and so. What the one the one I'm more interested in is like automotive noise on the power lines. It's like how noisy is that stuff, and does your filters on your power supplies sufficiently squelch that out? Right. And 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 you, um, if I remember right, it was uh, was your Octoprober project where you put like a crazy Pi filter on the front end, or or was it that the the Jeep 
Ford. That was a Jeep prop. Yeah, there was a cr- that thing was super overbuilt on the power supply. Yeah. I think you could was- probably run like two volt peak peak into it, yeah. and it would just completely kill it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a pretty crazy filter on it. So, um, so I personally I use. P-Spice 9.1, which is like the student edition, and it came out a long, long time ago. It was what I used in um, college, so I'm most used to it. Um, And I really enjoy that one, and I'm fast at it. That's why I go for it. However, it's very old. It has a lot of problems running on Windows 10. Uh, You kind of have to do a lot of workarounds just to be able to use it, and it crashes on occasion. Uh, So it's, it's just old, but I really... I like it. Um, and I also use LT Spice because that is more modern in terms of it's supported on Windows 10. Um, but I'm, I, what I'm curious about is, do any of our listeners do simulation? And if you do, what do you use and what do you prefer on that? I'd love to hear that. And and really the whole, like like Parker said, we, we have talked about this before, but now I'm, I'm extending this question from Parker to everyone else. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what everyone uses or if you know i'd i'd also love to hear like basically what percentage of people even care about simulation is it something that they want to do so um not to sell the slack channel again but jump on our slack channel and uh, and <laughs> you know either go onto the general channel or you know send me a personal message i'd love to hear what you guys do with simulation and um you know what your success is with that, and actually, if the if we should be doing more simulation before we start designing stuff, yeah, yeah, you know, is there a good argument for that? Uh, in my opinion, for IoT embedded system stuff, it's probably not necessary and a waste of time. Well, it's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult, but it's like it's also it's um, it, it could save you time as well, though. Man, that'd be awesome if you could design your board. Design your circuit, simulate the circuit to make sure everything's working. Like, yeah, I'm talking about digital here, working signal wise. So, like, everything's working. You can make sure everything plays nice with like all the ICs, uh, ESD diode stuff. You know, when that shit turns off, you know, are you going to be back feeding voltage into it? Like, simulating all that would be really cool. You lay out your board and then you give it some code and it could somehow figure out the EMF of your device as well. And so then you can really start tuning for, you know, FCC, CE. That sounds, I mean, that would be amazing, but that sounds like a very, very expensive plug into whatever package you're using. Yeah. Why don't you write an Eagle ULP that does all that? That does that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It analyzes your Gerber files and like actually runs that. That'd be kind of cool, actually. Yeah. So so actually one of the things I was doing with it today, we had a circuit that we wanted to make sure that when you turned a potentiometer on this circuit, it um the output was you were able to control from negative 12 dB to positive 12 dB. Basically, you, it's a gain control in a way, in a sense. Um and it's a it's a it was a generally it was a fairly simple circuit. It was like a, a dual transistor kind of uh, amplifier control system thing you know, just being able to mess around with resistor values to make sure that the the uh, taper of the potentiometer played nice and that we were actually hitting plus minus 12 uh, dB for the whole range of the potentiometer. It's kind of nice to just be able to do, you know, an hour and a half of simulation and not have to, you know, actually build it and then figure out why it doesn't work. 
Um, at the same time, you know, we'll, we'll build this board and it, it may not work exactly the way the simulation does. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. But in my opinion, it's, uh, the simulation gets you, you know, 90% of the way there and then you finish the last 10% with real world values and things like that. But at the same time, something that was really nice is being able to, you know, just modify a capacitor somewhere in the circuit and see the impact of that capacitor. Because there's a lot of times when you're designing things, and I think that this this kind of topic can be confusing for new guys, but there's a lot of times where you just put capacitors down because you know one needs to be there, but not necessarily what value it needs to be. Like in the feedback and loop? Simu- simulation, you know, modifying capacitor values and seeing what it does to your frequency response can tell you a lot without having to go to actual physical calculations. And I love using schematics for that. Or, sorry, simulations, not schematics. Um, I think that's a really useful tool there. Well, you're drawing a schematic to make the simulation happen. Right, right, right. But but I guess what I'm saying is, like, I know a capacitor needs to be somewhere, modify its value, see what it does, pick something that works. Gotcha. A lot of times it's easier than writing out a transfer function. <laughs> Isn't that Actually, the truth? not a lot of times. Practically always easier. <laughs> You remember having to do those back in college? Those were fun. I loved them. A long time ago, yeah. Oh, yeah. Laplace transforms till you go blue in the face. Yeah, so the next topic is going to be uconfig. It is a KiCad schematic symbols for PDF generator. Or Yeah, from PDF. From PDF. So I actually tried this out earlier today. It basically parses PDFs. I think it's probably using... Uh, uh, object, you know, it's actually looking at it and parsing the letters out, out of the PDF, and then using he's called he calls auto magic. <laughs> it finds diagrams and basically makes a pin listing for you. Interesting. So like pin one is this, pin two is this, pin three is this. Oh, okay, I see. Now he he actually has an image up on his GitHub where he's actually extracting something from. Data sheet. Correct. So that's what it does. Oh, that is cool. And I, I did some testing with this, and it actually seems to work pretty good. Uh, the thing about data sheets is they're always, or mostly, they're always black and white. There's sometimes some color logos and stuff, but a drawing in a PDF is going to be typically black and white. If you listeners know of a PDF that's not like that, let me know, and we'll shoot, we should run it through it and see if we can grab it. Mm, yeah. So it's not 100% perfect, but it actually works. This tool, you config actually works pretty well. It's pretty cool. I think I think I might actually have a data sheet for a display, an OLED display that is in color. I'll have to check on that and get back to you on that. But uh, I got one the other day because I was just checking dimensions on, on an OLED, and i uh, I know at least some of the pages have color on them. There was another one that is like a really cool build material, like Gerber viewer. So as you like hover over like your build materials, it highlights where they where it's at on the board. So it's very good if you're doing uh, hand placing parts. You can mm-hmm. basically upload, uh, open up your that 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 program and say, okay, I want to place C1 and hover over it, and it'll show you where it's at. Yeah, it was like walking you through building your own board, which yes. is awesome. So there's been a couple of cool tools like that coming out. Um, I'm hoping to 
put this uconfig through a little bit more a little more tests. And the cool thing is all open source, so you can gleam into the auto magic. <laughs> I so I I have not worked at uh, Macrofab in a while, but I can I can kind of smell that this uconfig thing is sort of like Macrofabby. It sounds like that sounds like something that Macrofab would love to have their hands on. <laughs> And so what I've been able to look when well, I've been looking through like its documentation and stuff. And so what it kind of does is it look it's looking for so it, it parses the whole uh, data sheet, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's looking for basically a table of numbers and descriptions is what it's looking for really. And it's really smart how it's going about it. Does it uh, when it creates Okay, I think I'm answering my question here. Which this this is totally cool. Um, when it creates a schematic image or a symbol, it it will automatically uh, arrange all the pins in numerical order. Correct. Even if the data sheet isn't necessarily like that. Correct. That's cool. It does do that. Yeah, and you can pick like different shapes that's going to make the symbol out of, which is cool. What I'm hoping for next that this guy comes out with. <laughs> Or someone else is one of those <laughs> footprints. If if a if KeyCAD can do the symbols in a a footprint from a PDF, I will probably switch over and suffer. But making the parts would be so much faster. Okay, so this this really sucks. But you uh, you broke up right at that point. Did you just say that you would switch from Eagle to KeyCAD? If they if you if they could do the layout. Wow, that's that's a big statement. There. So they could do if you can do the footprint, then yeah. Cause it actually seems to do the symbols quite well. This this program, this guy's that uh this U config. Yeah. Because really that's like my biggest like hang up when designing a board. I will always try to go through my library and find something, even if it might be suboptimal. <laughs> Just to avoid building parts. It's not because I'm slow at building parts or eagles. Actually, I like building parts in eagle. It's just I don't want to do that. I want to plop some parts down, dry, draw some nets up, and get the layout as fast as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I I, I think uh, building parts is part of the journey. So I, I, I just I don't try to avoid it. I just think that like it's just going to happen. What's so. it? The... Uh, the destination is not what matters. It's the journey, right? It's the building the footprints that matters. Building footprints, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the journey doesn't matter if the payoff doesn't work either. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> and so the next RFO is Samsung Caps Counterfeit Parts Rampant? Question mark. It's kind of a clickbaity item here. but So last week we were talking about some parts that Stephen... Ran into that were counterfeit Samsung capacitors. Right. And some people in the Slack channel have also ran into counterfeit Samsung capacitors. Yeah, it kind of, sp- uh, it was surprising because uh, talking about that that subject, it sparked a lot of other people saying, hey, there's, there's issues that they ran into and uh, makes, kind of feels a little bit vindicating. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, it makes it, <laughs> doesn't seem like, you know, we made a mistake or anything like that. It sounds more like, this was out of our hands kind of stuff, um, which is interesting that there's other people who've been 
having this issue. But one 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 good point that somebody made, I apologize, I don't remember exactly who it was, but you know, Samsung being a big brand, like they're just, you know, they're they're ripe for being counterfeited, you know? Yeah, because cause Samsung is a newer in quotes player in the mm-hmm. chip part game. Like capacitors and resistors. I don't know if they make resistors yet, but they definitely make capacitors. And the the thing about them is what I think what makes the counterfeiting the, them ideal to be counterfeited is they're an established brand, Samsung, right? Yeah. And they're new to this market. Mm-hmm. And what they're trying to do right now is the is they're tr- they're basically undercutting all the other manufacturers out there in terms of price. And so they already had the lowest price. And so when the counterfeiters come in, they are counterfeiters are always usually cheaper than the real thing. And so they come out with a slightly under price from Samsung. So you're already like, okay, we know Samsung parts are cheap. The brand looks good. And these counterfeit parts are probably legit, right? Yeah. Because it looks it's it passes the sniff test. Whereas if it was if they were faking a Murata part, which are generally more expensive capacitors, and they came out well under what the normal market value is for a Murata part, you might be like, uh, something's a little sketchy there. <laughs> sure, it makes sense. It's interesting. Yeah, if if you've um if you've experienced any heartache with some uh, Samsung capacitors, please let us know. I'd love to see if this is a bigger issue that uh, a lot of people are seeing. I think that's going to wrap up this episode, Stephen. We're at like 50 minutes. Yeah, this was a counterfeit uh, episode, actually. This is not Parker and Stephen talking, but... (laughs) This is Stephen and Parker. Yeah, (laughs) Stephen. Yeah. So, well, with that, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts. Uh, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Uh, later, everyone. I can't remember what you said. Oh, come on! <laughs> I say it every episode. Take it easy. Take it easy. That's right. That's right. It is what it is. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, counterfeit parts topics or simulations that you like to use let us know at macrofab or at analog eng or at longhorn engineer with no o's or email us at podcast at macrofab.com man we are we can get available anywhere or slack we can do slack too uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. You know, I haven't checked on our reviews in a while. Let's see if they're so good.